Hey everyone, it's Erica and Christian Raphael, and we'd like to welcome you to our backpack, the podcast where we give you the tools to support your personal and professional journey. Hey everyone, welcome back to our backpack. Woo 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 woo. Do another one, why don't you, Christian? Woo! <laughs> We're excited to be here for this episode. You know, Christian, um, I was thinking last week, uh, well, right now at our institution, we are preparing for moving. Um, uh-huh. It's kind of like a scary thought, um, uh-huh. but I am excited to start the new school year. I know it's like a big change, Christian, but what are you looking forward to? It's interesting because even though I think many of us, quote unquote, have our New Year's resolutions in January, mm-hmm. for me, I always try setting goals for myself for the beginning of the month. And so for this month, my goal is just to have faith in people. Um, I posted on Instagram about that. It's just trying to have faith in others and hoping for the best. It may not be your responsibility to get them there, but giving them that faith so I think that's what I'm most excited about is with the new year comes new opportunities and new challenges and seeing Mm -hmm. how people execute them or not execute them faithfully I think that's cool though I'm like when you do work in academic settings you kind of do think of the new year as it starts in September or August (laughs) when you're in higher ed Mm -hmm. and so that does take some adjusting when people are like it's the new year and you're like well it's a new semester Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm looking forward to teaching a class. I'm really hoping I get to teach a class. I'm teaching the leadership section of a first year um, course. It's just an entry course into college and getting people situated, but I'm teaching the leadership section. And right now, our class is currently experiencing low enrollment. And I think that makes sense because it's not a general section. But I went to go check in our portal and we've had a couple of more students join in so I'm super excited and I'm wishing for the best. We've got some cool ideas to give how we're going to incorporate um, a superhero theme into the first class mm. so that should be fun. But Christian you gave a really um, dope intro to today's um, episode because right now episode two is called Do You Trust Me? How to Step on the Magic Carpet. <laughs> We giggle whenever we think about this episode. I mean, I think of Jasmine and Aladdin and him smiling at her and her looking at him like, I mean, I guess. Yeah, and I, and I always wonder, like, if, let's say, the carpet wasn't flying and someone just said, get on the magic carpet and the idea was to fly and it goes right through the ground, that's sometimes how life crumbles. <laughs> what an outlook. <laughs> Sorry. Someone's allocate. Just the whole 180 perspective. 360, 360. Yes, but today we'll be talking about trust, and we're going to be talking about trust in yourself and trust uh-huh. in your institution. But first, Christian's going to give us a definition of what trust means. Yeah, and when we're, it's interesting because right now I'm thinking about what does trust look like? What does trust mean? And we can, of, of course, pull up the Webster Dictionary on trust and read that definition line by line. Yeah. But for me, when it comes to trust, it's always been more than me. Right, the sense that in one part I need to have good faith in others hoping and trusting that they will do what is best but in the second part of that is I've always seen trust as very relational 
in the sense of, I don't want to say like dating, but it's very intimate, right? When you think of trust and the amount of trust you could probably give to someone, nothing comes closer to that than almost a relationship. And so when I think about trust, I think about my past relationships and even present relationships. And the one thing I've always recognized is if when it comes to trust, if I'm ever self-conscious of myself, um, may that be from insecurities or actions I've done, it always shows up in my relationships. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's due to the other person because the other person is just mean. But sometimes <laughs> it could be due to the things I'm carrying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I feel as if I'm not good enough for a relationship. So I sometimes self-sabotage and or point out the things why it won't work out. Yeah. And I think when we're looking at trust, it that sounds almost very um, applicable to just work relationships because it we spend forty hours a week, if not more, in the workspace for some folks, right? So I'm spending more time at work than I am doing with my significant other if I had one. <laughs> so there's a lot of space for vulnerability, a lot of space for mistakes, a lot of space for ownership, and. That's why when I think of trust, I think of it as a relationship between two people and a contract, a social contract that is always growing and developing. Yeah. Even the term like relationship, because um, even right now, like you and I are in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and a relationship can, there are many different types and forms of relationships. You're in a relationship with your supervisor, you're in a relationship with your department. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh-huh. All of those are relationships that take work and take you practicing giving and taking, um, it's all a process, process mm-hmm. of learning and unlearning, but it's also just about grace and mm-hmm. compassion. And that all begins with yourself. Um, as Christian was mentioning, um, it's hard to extend trust to other people if you don't first have trust in yourself. Because mm-hmm. um, I think when you have trust in yourself and you have faith in yourself, it also leads to you having better boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who you are the core of it all, you know what your values are. You know what's for you, you know what's not for you. You know how to advocate for yourself. You know how to stand up for yourself. Um, and you recognize, most importantly, what boundaries mean. It's like where you begin and others, you know, where you end and others end. Meaning mm-hmm. I know who I am and I know who my department is. And I recognize where our values are shared and where our values are different. Mm-hmm. And I also recognize that within the company culture, it's gonna take some adjustment on my end and on the company's end um, for us to have like a beneficial relationship uh-huh. where uh-huh. trust can grow. Um, and I think a big part of trust for me is consistency and just accountability. And when I'm in the workspace, um, I'm looking at, at that from the f- standpoint of, does my department consistently show up for me? Mm-hmm. Does my com- department consistently create spaces for me to feel like a valued employee and to feel like my knowledge and my skills are of use? and valued by the department. Mm -hmm. Does the department like take accountability um, for the way in which they show up for me as an employee, Mm -hmm. for the things that they don't get right, and how do they show that like Mm -hmm. moving forward? And I feel like recently in our department, we had one of those exercises where we needed our Christian's eyes are so large. (laughs) Where's that notebook? Where we had to extend like um, 
faith and trust in our department and then we also had to extend forgiveness and also ask for them mm -hmm. to display accountability on their end mm -hmm. i don't know christian if you want to talk more about that i <laughs> i'll talk about it but not about <laughs> it, it specifically yeah. it, it's interesting because we not often do we see a department as a relationship Mm -hmm. Right. We see it as or a unit or an organization. We see it. Some people may see it as just my job. And yeah. I'm getting my income or I'm getting my benefits. But a, a, a unit, an organization, a department, you know, it does have a personality and it does, you know, it, it sometimes and maybe not the whole unit. People do harm to other people. But sometimes if it's a culture, mm -hmm. it's the department. Right, and yeah. so when it comes to, you know, the activities where we need to extend forgiveness, we need to extend grace, I, Christian Raphael Sparrow, can do that from my end, but then on a departmental level, the department needs to do the same. Right. And sometimes it's a lot easier for a person to change versus a department. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is hard, especially when you're like in student affairs. We have a very like influx field in general. Like people are always coming and going. It's the nature of student affairs. There's always articles on how do we retain more people in our field, uh, and that can be hard because uh, mm -hmm. you're constantly changing the people you interact with. You can build trusting relationships with people. They're gone. The state and the nature of your department is constantly changing. It can be difficult to find consistency mm -hmm. in our field when much of that consistency is attached to the people mm -hmm, and not necessarily mm -hmm. to the department um, itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that Christian and I are like still navigating. Yeah. I don't know if we've necessarily figured that out. Well, I don't want to speak for you. Yeah, I, I think for me, when we're looking at trust in the department, I'm still trying to understand so taking this back to dating, right? Mm -hmm. If I know I'm dating someone who's a horrible texter, I know <laughs> that tomorrow they're not going to be the best texter, mm -hmm. right? So realistically, any set of boundaries and expectations with that person say, okay, you may take three days to text me or to pull a Casper, but maybe instead of every three days, it's every two days. Yeah. Or acknowledge me in some form of matter. So instead of a text, maybe it's on Instagram or on Facebook. And so I use that example because realistically, when we look at our department or a department or a unit or organization, it's not going to change overnight or me giving my forgiveness and or thinking things are going to change overnight or the next day. You have to create benchmarks. And for me, I'm still trying to understand how that looks like for me, for a department. Yeah. Same. And I'm like, and this is all things like, to think about like as you begin working at your workspace but if you're going in and you're new right i think one of the best things that you can do so you don't drive yourself up the wall is to believe all your employees are acting with goodwill mm -hmm. whether you understand their interactions or not taking it back to christians like relationship example uh, if you're getting to know someone new it's kind of hard if you're going there already assuming that they have bad intentions mm -hmm. it won't make it a fun relationship for you mm -hmm. but it also make it a fun relationship 
for the other people. Because whether believe it or not, like when we extend trust in people and we show people that we have a sense of goodwill and we have faith in them, it actually motivates them to do better. Um, and I think especially when you are a new employee, at, at least I've experienced this, when you come in there with fresh energy and you're excited and you're trusting people in the department, you'd be surprised at just like how many people in the department actually want to create a space and an environment mm -hmm. for you to succeed. Mm -hmm. And like everyone in the department might not be on board with changing their behaviors to create a new company culture for the new set of people coming in, but a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. And just by simply like, extending that grace and that understanding and that just belief that everyone is trying their best um, it really does change people's moods mm -hmm. and it really does motivate people to want to interact with you and um, potentially change their behaviors absolutely um, so on that same topic of behaviors I think when we're talking about faith it's ultimately and you should already share this Erica but it is extending that grace and uh, at first, I used to be so annoyed by that statement, extend grace. <laughs> <laughs> I used to hear it like every week. <laughs> well, in all due fairness, some of the things that you were asked to extend grace about were just ridiculous. Cosine. Agreed. <laughs> Left and right. And while well, let me take two steps back, it is very important to extend grace to people because life does happen, mm -hmm. right? So as I share, we spend 40 hours a week, if not more, in the workplace outside of the workplace we do have lives and while work is a huge identity for me as an individual and for others it's important to recognize it's not the most salient identity for everyone mm -hmm. and people uh, transparency i'm single i'm independent i live in a studio <laughs> i work i work out i write that's it and do my phd i also recognize there are people doing that and more or have other commitments. And so the reason why I share that little glimpse is because I think when we think of extending grace, we oftentimes compare it to like our lives. Like, oh, if, if I was able to do this, why didn't this person get are able to do this or get this done? And just recognize that everyone's life looks a little bit different. But when you extend grace, it's allowing the opportunity for them to either do that task or that objective effectively and efficiently and recognize that they are still human so you know extending grace is more than just a check box on the weekly thing to do it's recognizing that again we are human mm -hmm. things happen and extending grace isn't an excuse right so right. when i extend grace to erica if erica dropped the ball on something it is erica's responsibility to pick that ball back up i'm not gonna pick the ball back up for her and say here's another <laughs> grace to give absolutely not but extending the grace is just recognizing that you know we all make mistakes or things happen and allowing that space for someone to bounce back now again it's erica's responsibility to bounce back but we just have to start by recognizing that we should all extend grace yeah it's like we can extend people grace hold them accountable compassionately and still um, go about it in a way that allows us to maintain a healthy and a positive relationship um, I think another thing you want to do when you first get to your job is inquire about the company culture. Mm -hmm. Like figure out how the department has moved past previous hurdles, mm -hmm. right? You know, sometimes when you go into your department and you start asking people questions, people think that you're snooping around. But listen, this is going to be like the second place where you spend most of your time. Mm -hmm. um, you want to know what you're getting yourself into because part of trust is also having a little bit 
of knowledge of what you might be experiencing. So don't be afraid to like ask questions. Of course, do it in a respectful way in which you're mm -hmm. not appearing like you're trying to figure out the ins and outs and the details of like people's lives. Mm -hmm. But when certain topics come up in meetings and people's facial expressions start changing <laughs> and things start looking a little wonky, you might want to go and ask someone. So full disclosure, one of my first meetings in my department we were having a conversation about diversity and inclusion. And when the topic came up, it's like all the air left the room and everyone's eyes started darting around. But there was this one woman who spoke up and everyone else didn't want to broach the question. And as soon as that meeting was over, mind you, this was my first week, I went and knocked right on her office door and I was like, hi, can I speak to you really quickly? <laughs> the way that meeting went, something seems off. And I'm like, I'm not trying to like, be funny but I would like to know what mm -hmm. is going on in the department specifically surrounding this topic because mm -hmm. if I'm gonna have to be sitting in these conversations and diversity and inclusion work is something that I would like to do in the department mm -hmm. I kind of want to know what's been happening before me um, I think approaching that way actually um, helped because we did end up getting lunch and she did end up talking to me and we had a very real and open open conversation so don't be afraid to ask questions um, and find someone that's willing to be honest with you in a non-gossiping way. And for part and part of that, right? So Erica's example, I think, is a very good one in terms of trying to understand. Erica wanted to understand more about what is the culture around diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice within our department as someone who wants to do that work. Mm -hmm. And so, I never understood this quote until I started working at a specific unit. But what hill do you want to die on? What hills are you going to die on? And I was like, what hill is people talking about that people want to die on this hill? Is it one that people snowboard on? But then I actually got the expression um, at least a year later. And <laughs> one of our favorite colleagues, well, I think they're one of your favorite colleagues, who yeah. would constantly tell me that whenever I would express frustration, they'd be like, Erica, it's like I told you in the beginning. You have to remember what hills are you going to die on? Because let me tell y'all something. Every hill is not worth it. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, and, and so as we're, as we're talking about, you know, what to do in your new era, it, I guess it's also understanding for you, what is the hill worth sitting on, right? So the expression, what hill are you going to die on? Or let's take it back. The hill is the, is the goal, right? So what goal do you want to accomplish? And what you often hear people say is, that's not the hill to die on. So if it's a goal that is unrealistic or something that your department, unit, organization won't fulfill, it's not worth dying on that hill. And recognizing you don't want to die on every hill. You only have one life. For some people, maybe multiple. <laughs> and so when you're in this new department, organization, or unit, maybe identify what hills are worth dying on. And so for me, the one hill I will always die on is accessibility and opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so if opportunities aren't equitable for folks, then I'm gonna question it and people might hate me, people may love me, that is okay. But at least I'm consistent and consistency is key. So when it comes to that hill in terms of how opportunities are presented to folks and or how we're engaging individuals to come in for opportunities, I will always ask who else was presented this opportunity, was it selected, is it a personal relationship and, and or et cetera? Because as, I sh as I've shared before, working in higher ed opportunities are what help make or break experiences for promotion and mobility. So 
Yeah. Well, that's my hell. And I think like that even segues into our last one, like figure out how you can positively contribute. And I think saying like what hills are worth sitting on is important. So I took on a new role in the department and I work on marketing and communications now. And I remember I was talking to a friend of mine about taking on this new role and she was like, you know, Erica, one of the things you want to do as you're trying to like advance your career, you definitely want to work on projects that you know your department wants to take part in and you know your department is going to back. Um, And you even think about that in the relationship context that Christian was bringing up earlier. Mm -hmm. It's like if you know the person you are speaking with is not the greatest texter, Mm -hmm. texting is not the hill to die on Mm. because that will be about you trying to control that person and trying Mm. to get that person to do what you want them to do. And when you think about that in the context of your department, Sometimes we want to control our department, right? And we want our department to be the type of department that we want to work in. And while that's great and that's fine, sometimes you just have to recognize that our department is just not that department. Uh-huh. And there is nothing wrong with packing your bags uh-huh. and leaving, right? There's a certain point in time where you got to know where to hold them and you got to know where to fold them. Uh-huh. And if one of the ways that the department acts does not coincide with your values and is consistently crossing your boundaries, you are well within your rights to be like, I need to leave this space. Mm-hmm. You've given it the best that you can, but you should not compromise yourself for your department. There are mm-hmm. other departments. Um, and that sometimes is like hard, especially when we feel like, you know, it's not the easiest to find a job. We're worried about financial security, um, but we also have to have boundaries and we also have to take care of ourselves mm-hmm. and that needs to be primary. And it's not up to us to exhaust ourselves to see change in our department. It's like. What do we always say again, Christian? I'm not going to, I'm not going to like exhaust myself for a culture that would exist without me. Oh, <laughs> yes. Hold on. Um, thank you, shameless plug. Thank you, Ashley Gaddy, who met me at CEHO and who also worked at a previous institution that was able to stop her. The question I asked her was, how do you survive in a department that there's still it's not the the department's not where it's meant to be right yeah. in in 2020 <laughs> she said this quote and i've always said it in meetings when i can and have the opportunity but she said never change for a department never change for a culture that's going to exist without you sorry my bad let me say that one more time never change for a culture that's going to exist without you yeah and what she meant by that was you know, if I'm in a relationship, let's go back to the person that's been texting, right? If, they, if they're gonna take th- three days to text, sure, I can bring it up to them, let them know, hey, I don't like that, you should do something different instead of texting me every three days. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not gonna change myself to accommodate for them texting me like that, right? I'm gonna have to recognize either, one, I need to leave that relationship, mm-hmm. two, let them know that it, it bothers me and they need to fix it, or three, just deal with it and stay with it. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, with that quote, I, the way I've always interpreted it is I can't change who I am at my core for something that's going to exist well after I leave. Yeah. That's really true. And I think as like we're talking about knowing like what to do if you can't trust your department or what to do if you're having these issues, one of the first things you have to do is just going to be really hard after you confront yourself is confronting your supervisors or confronting your leadership team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And right then and there, like that, I'm not even going to say it. Like that is a hurdle, especially um, if you were raised to see authority as like an all defining power that you cannot challenge. And just as a culture that you have to learn to work within. Mm -hmm. But I want to empower everyone listening to understand that your leadership team and your supervisors and the people that work above you are accountable to you. And Mm -hmm they are supposed to be creating an environment for you to thrive and succeed uh-huh. in. Um, uh-huh. And if that's not happening, you do have the right to approach them. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to approach your supervisor. Uh-huh. I think that would have to be an entirely different podcast, and we could definitely do an episode on that. Uh-huh. Um, but I would definitely begin by, one, documenting things um, uh-huh. when you do speak up so it's known. Like It's uh-huh. not like you never said anything. Like, <laughs> like emailing people, uh-huh. like... Uh-huh keeping like an Excel sheet of times where you advocated for yourself and you did not see any change. If it gets to the point where you leave your department and you have to have an exit interview, be as honest in that exit interview as you possibly Mm -hmm. can. There are no repercussions that are gonna come from that because it'll be a conversation with HR. (laughs) So you don't have to be concerned. And you're exiting, you're you're (laughs) gone, you're gone. You are exiting. But I do wanna say is that at times like, our focus should be on creating spaces for ourselves, mm-hmm. but when we speak up, we also create spaces for the people that come after us and the mm-hmm. people that fill our spots. Because without creating this awareness, it's crazy to say, you mean some of these people didn't know they were dysfunctional? When I tell you some people are so deep in dysfunction, they really do not know. They just do not know. Mm-hmm. And without enough people um, saying anything, these things will slip through the cracks. And it's mm-hmm. not to say that everyone who speaks up will be heard because there's definitely comes bias, like when who's speaking and who's the person who mm-hmm. gets the floor mm-hmm. and who gets the air. But please do feel empowered to speak up and say something mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. not just let it slide and go by. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think these were all really great points. So let me make sure that our listeners and everyone remembers everything that we were just talking about. So <laughs> in the beginning, we talked about you know what distrust defining trust and we talked about trust at least for how we're using in in this episode is relationship based mm-hmm. it's you know being vulnerable it's allowing for space for people to grow and learn with one another and as we then tr- as as we define trust for ourselves we then have to define what are we going to do in this new era aka how are you as a listener and how are we Eric and I going to navigate the workplace maybe in a new role in a new opportunity in a new unit and the ways in which you do that is one believe that employees are acting in goodwill two ensuring that you're extended grace now again grace does not mean that you're going to forgive everything but it's allowing the space for someone to make up for actions that may have occurred that should have not occurred three inquire about the company culture so as you're learning about the culture of the company, look, listen, learn, understand. What are things that are working? What are things that look like they're not working? And follow up with people directly. As Erica used the example with one of our colleagues, she went to understand more about what does diversity, equity, and inclusion meant at this space at that time. Mm-hmm. Understand what hills are worth dying on, what hills are worth staying on, what are hills that are beautiful and you're just gonna watch and walk away because <laughs> not every hill is worth dying on and lastly understand and figure out how you can contribute to positive change 
when we're thinking about the overall of understanding our department and the culture, there are going to be things that work and things that don't work. Yeah. Right. And every, just like every relationship, every relationship <laughs> looks different. Yeah. Every department, organization, unit is going to look different. I mean, think about it. Facebook, Amazon, um, all, like Google, each company or each team has its own way to functioning. And so mm-hmm. we can give the best advice that covers, I think, broadly. But as a listener, it's your role and responsibility to understand more specifically in that space how do you create trust in that company for you? Yeah. And it starts with within. Right. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Our Backpack. Um, we hope that you took something from it to take on your journey. See you next week. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>